So glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com. That's where you go to save money each and every day. The flu this year is almost at what would be called epidemic proportions. So many people being stricken by the flu, and it can be deadly. The stories of people of all different ages, even young children, middle school age kids, being being at a point of no return and passing away two days after diagnosis. I mean, this is really serious stuff. Today's Clark Rageous Moment, I'm going to tell you about a simple thing that could happen that is illegal in most states that could dramatically increase the survival rate of people afflicted with the flu. And later, the stock market has been zooming up, having a rough day today. But what does that mean for you as an investor? Where do you fit in it? When is the stock market falling off a cliff, et cetera, et cetera? That's coming up for you later. There was an announcement, speaking of health care, by three very large employers in completely unrelated industries. Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's conglomerate that's in many different businesses. J.P. Morgan Chase, which is, I guess, the largest bank in the United States. And Amazon have gotten together in a joint venture co-op that is a nonprofit, classic co-op, to handle health care for the cumulative roughly million people that work for these three giant corporations. And the idea behind this is that we in the United States spend far more on health care than any other country on earth. We spend double a share of our national wealth on health care than any developed country. So that means... You know, the wealthy, other wealthy countries in the world get by on spending half as much of their nation's income on health care than we do. And without an exception that I'm aware of, every one of those countries has longer lifespans than we do. In fact, lifespans in the United States are going down right now principally because of the opiate problem in the U.S. But even without that, U.S. lifespans, medical outcomes, are inferior to those in even some third world countries. Now, I've had medical professionals, when I've talked about that, who have fired back at me saying that that is not because of health care, it's because of lifestyle choices of Americans how we eat, how we don't exercise as much as we should, the smoking rates, all these things, that there are human factors that have led to us having uh, worse health outcomes than so many dozens of other countries in the world. And maybe that's part of it. But the reality is we're spending all this and we're not getting results. So the idea of this new co-op 
with a million people as part of it is that normally in a company, because so many of us get our health care through an employer, even if a company is annoyed about health care costs and wants to do something about it, it's so secondary to what a company does, which is running its business, that it never gets the attention necessary to actually do something about the inefficiency of health care in the United States, the poor outcomes, high costs. So those three things are what this co-op is about attacking. So that you as an employee, you don't really think about if an employer provides you health care, how massive that expense is for your employer. The part that you and I are left for is a tiny part of the overall picture. And the interests of people in the medical industry are not aligned with this at all. Because everybody's trying to get their piece of the dollar. The hospitals, the medical providers, the insurers, and they're all operating trying to get their pie bigger. And that doesn't include what works for America and what works for us as individuals or works for the companies that we work for. In addition, one of the things that destroys the federal budget and many state budgets is the cost of health care because the largest provider of health care in the United States is government at all levels. And what's spent on Medicare, Medicaid, and other health insurance, health coverage programs that are run by the feds of the states. And nobody has been able to create the incentives to create efficiency. So who knows if Amazon, Chase, and Warren Buffett are going to be successful in this effort to bend the cost curve of health care. But I hope they can make this work and create efficiencies that don't exist today and create incentives to lower costs that don't exist today. Because what we're doing right now does not work. Look at how much of political Washington's energies for nine years have been focused on health care. Obamacare, doing away with Obamacare, how are we going to pay for this, how are we going to pay for that, what are we not going to make people do, and all that. This would not be an issue if our health care delivery in the United States was not so incredibly inefficient. Bobby's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bobby. Hello. How are you? Great. Thank you, Bobby. How can I be of service to you? Well, um, you talk a lot about, uh, about the Equifax data breach, and the one thing I haven't heard over the last few months is what if you're a small business owner who has their credit checked all the time? Credit freezes are going to be difficult and costly to unfreeze it and buy it because we need it for credit apps and insurance and vehicle purchases and just not sure what our options are um, for being a small business owner because I'm sure we're a good target for identity thieves. You sure are. So there is a compromise thing you can now do with two of the three bureaus, and those are TransUnion and Equifax. I'm not aware of a similar thing being made available by Experian yet, 
But you mm-hmm. can do something that is a halfway step called credit lock instead of credit okay. freeze. Mm-hmm. And the advantage of that in your situation is that it is free to lock your credit and temporarily unlock it all you want and to be able to do it instantly. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, was so, about, I was worried about that. <laughs> so let me tell you the disadvantage of credit lock. Mm-hmm. The difference between credit lock and credit freeze is the credit bureaus make their money building a dossier on you mm-hmm. and selling your dossier without your permission off over and over and over again, and that's how they make their money. Everybody thinks of the credit bureaus making their money from selling credit reports, but that's just a tiny part of where they make their money. Most of it is on the deep data that where they spy on you, build these profiles on you, ultimately develop thorough dossiers that they then slice and dice different ways and sell off. So with credit lock, you still allow them to do all that. So they can sell, sell you off repeatedly, just not for credit. Okay. Would you recommend then if only two of the three, like would you still freeze your credit with Experian and just hope that the people pulling your credit aren't using Experian? Or? Well, you know, a lot of times when somebody's pulling your credit, they don't even know which bureau they pull from. So you wouldn't okay. know till they say, oh, your credit's frozen. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to thaw that file. And I realize that I'm creating all kinds of work for you. <laughs> to freeze and thaw but i want you to think about with your business and your needs with a growing business to be able to obtain credit when necessary if somebody does steal your identity and messes your credit standing up you know it can take a couple of years to clean up your credit after somebody has stolen your identity so you would really face the potential that the growth of your business would be harmed because you might not be able to obtain credit for a couple of years. Right. Yeah. So that's why that's why even though it is such a hassle, I would go through the process at least of doing the credit lock and the case of Experian until they decide to offer an equivalent product that you freeze with them. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Clark. I was like I said, that was the one thing I hadn't heard over the months and you know I wanted, I don't want to feel special about not being able to freeze my credit. All right. Now, Bobby, you know why a lot of people were sore at me over Christmas? No, why? Because they'd be somewhere in a store and there'd be an item on special promotion <laughs> and they'd want to get the store financing right on site. Yep. And they couldn't do it because their credit was frozen and they'd have to go home first, find their thaw codes and thaw it out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that actually did people a favor because when they get home, a lot of times the impulse spending they were going to do, by the time they got home, they're like, well, I really don't need that new thing. That's a smart thing. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, so I take some fun away from people, but maybe bring a little more financial responsibility in the picture at the same time. Now, speaking of the whole credit freeze thing, Bobby, I wanted to mention several states have proposals at various stages through the legislatures right now to eliminate the fees for credit freezes. And I am a big advocate for that. It shouldn't have required action by states. The Congress should have done something 
in the aftermath of the Equifax thing. But the congressmen and senators are so bought and paid for by the banks and the power of the credit bureaus with all the money they spread around Washington that nothing, nothing, nothing to help the consumer has taken place since the egregious gross negligence of Equifax that exposed the information of 145.5 million Americans. So in the state legislatures, that's where the action is right now. And you're going to have a bunch of states this year through their legislative sessions make credit freezes free, which is how it should be anyway, because the credit bureaus are collecting this information without our permission, building these dossiers on us without our permission, selling us off over and over again without our permission. And we should have the power without having to pay for it to shut them down cold from doing so. And in one state, there's a bill that has been proposed that will freeze a child's credit at birth when a child's issued a social security number and automatically do that and keep a child's credit frozen till a child reaches his or her 18th birthday. And that should be something that should be national policy. It should come out of D.C. because kids are so vulnerable to identity theft and flat out the credit bureaus don't care. It's very concerning when you hear these reports of very healthy people in the prime of their lives being completely fine one day and 72 hours later they're deceased because of the flu. The flu is a nasty thing. It's why you've heard me through the years, if you're a regular listener, that I'm such a nag about you getting a flu shot. And surprisingly enough, if you have not gotten a flu shot, I understand nothing about science or medicine. You're still being encouraged to get one now for the remainder of this flu season because it spiked so badly. But even if someone had a flu shot, this year the the flu shot is not as effective as in prior years. And so if you do get the flu, even having had the flu shot, the good news is that the symptoms are far less severe than they would be otherwise. But time is your friend or enemy with the flu. And there's something that Minnesota does that should be the way things work in all 50 states. A pharmacist can do a a flu test. You know, in most states, there are rules to protect doctors from competition that outlaw other medical professionals, like a pharmacist, from administering a flu test, which is a simple swab, and time is of the essence. Pharmacies are open much greater hours than doctors are available. Emergency rooms are overflowing. They don't want people showing up. And I wish there was an emergency order from the feds that would allow pharmacies around the country pharmacists to administer a flu test so that people could start getting care and treatment immediately because you can die so quickly from the flu from dehydration that comes with the flu and we should not have people dying unnecessarily to protect special interests so simple thing by the way i saw in the Florida Sun Sentinel, the newspaper from Fort Lauderdale, 
that in the Florida legislature, there's a bill that would give pharmacists explicit legal rights to administer flu tests to people. And the uh, lobbyists for the medical industry are fighting like crazy against this, pretending that they're trying to protect patients, which is a big fat lie. And we need to do things that allow people to find out stat whether or not they have the flu and keep them safe. But for you moving forward, if you've always been somebody who said, I don't get a flu shot. I mean, what? I got a flu shot years ago, and next thing I knew, I had the flu. doesn't work like that. It's a dead vaccine. Take care of yourself. Stay safe. I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to join me here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you. I hope that you're empowered with knowledge so that you can take more control of your financial future. I hope you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. And when you have a question for me, go to clark.com ask. You also can get your questions answered off the air for free. It's been a service of our show for 25 years this week and so we actually have one original member of team clark who is still with us from 25 years ago is that amazing so anyway when you go to clark.com scroll down on the left hand side you'll see the phone number and hours available each weekday except during holidays for free off the air advice that we offer 42 hours each week so stock market is having a bad day today, two days in a row, I guess. And the financial press is like all over, is this the beginning of the correction, the bear market, whatever, chill, chill. You know, markets go in cycles, and even uh, an up market goes through times of decline. But what has me fretting is, and this is just something I perceive when I'm out and about, I, over the last six months, have seen a giant increase in the number of people asking me about buying individual stocks, that people feel like a train has left the station. They want to run and jump on it because uh, various stock indexes in the United States or indices, whatever the right way is to say that, being at all-time record highs, market having quadrupled over the last nine years. And so people want to go get in this thing. But the thing is, with something like investing, most individuals get into it after a big run-up. I think about, you go back last decade, and here on the show, we had a problem in 2004, 5, and 6. We had way too many people calling every single show wanting to ask questions about investing in real estate. It had become a mania. And that's what people wanted to talk about. 
And we know what happened is the real estate market crested and then fell off a cliff. And people were buying properties with 100% borrowed money, buying properties in many cases they never moved into, just held on spec. They weren't even trying to rent them out. That was a mania. This is not a mania with the stock market. But at the same time, be very careful and cautious. One source of alarm for me is the number of people borrowing money to buy stocks. With the idea that, well, you're going to, if you borrow money to buy them, you're going to be using less of your own money. You're going to be leveraging. And as the market goes up, you're going to make a lot more money. Okay, so the fallacy in all that is as the market goes up. Because stock markets go up and down over the years, and you never know when the turn is. And if you use borrowed money to buy stuff, particularly if you start getting individual individual stocks, the risk is so great that you will have what's known as a margin call where the shares decline and who you borrowed the money from says, you got to come up with that cash right now or we're selling out your position and you're wiped out. So slow and steady wins the investing race. Being well diversified, in other words, spreading your money well out among different types of investments and instead of one, three, five, seven different companies, thousands of companies, is key. I am an incrementalist in investing. I'm not somebody who is going to be somewhere bragging about the big return I had on this thing I bought, this particular stock I bought. That's not my thing. Remember, I'm the dullest person in radio. I'm dull. I'm trying to create financial security not have big stories to tell, tall tales. Be careful getting into a mania with investing. Norm is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Norm. Hi, Clark. <laughs> How you, you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for all you do. My Certainly. question today is about eyeglasses. When we go to an eye doctor and have an exam and then decide to order a pair of eyeglasses, we're actually paying for two things, the frames and the lenses. And the lenses, just the lenses alone, can range in price anywhere from, oh, I don't know, $29 to $1,400. So Say what now? Anywhere from like $29 to $1,400. Just I don't know where you're shopping because that's I can't imagine spending $29 on a frame. I didn't know they could run up that high. Well, I think they do. But here's the question. Is there a real difference in the way those lenses are manufactured? Okay, so I'm not an optician. I'm not an optometrist. I can only tell you the dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. And I have bought many glasses from the deep discounters, and I have never had a problem with using any of those glasses. So the biggest player of them all in the deep discount market is Zenni Optical. Yes. And if you've looked at Zenni, you can buy complete glasses often for under $10, frames, lenses, complete. Mm -hmm. 
And I hear it. I mean, I have people over and over again come up to me and wave their glasses at me and look, look, they were only $12 or whatever. And it's an industry that's going through a radical transformation because of the internet that created this new competition. So what I recommend if you're trying to decide if you should get your feet wet, Norm, Mm -hmm. is buy a pair of glasses in the way that traditionally has made you comfortable. Okay. And spend the money that you're used to spending. Okay. And then turn around and buy a spare pair with frames you like. Don't buy a spare pair with frames that you'd only want to wear in the event that you couldn't find or broke your originals. Right. Buy one that you really would be comfortable wearing and buy that spare pair for like no money and compare them. Okay. And when I've had people do that, overwhelmingly, they're done. They never buy another expensive pair of frames and lenses again. Got it. All right. Good and advice. So Zenny is the largest. There's one that is very popular at a higher price point called Warby Parker. Okay. You ever heard of them? No. Warby Parker is geared very heavily towards uh, people in their 20s. And they are really about being chic, but affordable chic. It's kind of like a business model, like how people think about shopping at Target versus shopping at a fancy department store. Okay. And then there are a bunch of other really inexpensive deep discounters that, again, you're looking at frames, lenses complete, including shipping at under $15. If you just were to uh, do a Google search or whatever and say cheap eyeglasses, you'll see a bunch of different companies. Okay. But if you want to go with the biggest choice that got good reviews from Consumer Reports, that would be Zenni Optical, Z-E-N-N-I Optical. And try it out. Grant is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Grant. Hi, Clark. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? Good. You know my son is named Grant. Really? Yeah, he was named after you. Well, <laughs> I've been listening since I was a little boy, but I actually did not know that. Yeah, he's 12 now. Oh, uh, okay. Sixth grader. Oh, he's getting up there. So, Grant, how can I be of service to you? So, last semester, I'm a, just about to turn 21 and in college, and last semester I made a goal to save up enough money to max out a Roth for the 2017 tax season. Wait, 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 wait. You are in the midst of college, and instead of borrowing money past your eyeballs, you're saving money enough to fund a Ross, so you're working while you're in school, too. Yes, and I'm very fortunate um, to have uh, to be able to live with my parents during this and uh, save on expenses when I can. Well, a lot of college students would say that would be unfortunate because you don't get to have that uh, college experience that involves not going to classes, but it's working out for you and it's helping you save an enormous amount of money. Yes. Great. Well, I'm really excited that you're in a position to fully fund a Roth because being able to do so before your 21st birthday has fantastic benefits to you, which you know if you've been listening to me since you were a little kid, because that money will be able to double effectively 
so many times over over these decades moving forward. Yeah, and my, my question was, I, I succeeded in that goal, and I'm wondering where to go from here in terms of investing. Obviously, there's 2018, but um, after that, where should I look to in terms of saving for retirement? You mean beyond even doing 5500 and a Roth each year? Yes. Grant, you have instantly become my hero. Because here you are, before you know, at 20 years old, trying to figure out how to save for retirement more than 5500 bucks. So what are your goals in your 20s, let's say? What are the things you want to accomplish in your life? Do you have a goal of buying a home? What kind of things are you thinking of that are more immediate goals than saving for 40 years from now? The most immediate is graduating college and um, something that of some sort of real estate, such as owning a home or a rental property. So in that case, you're, if you're already fully funding a Roth, the next step is going to sound lame and it's going to sound overly simplistic, but it's the right thing to do. If your goal in the next several years is to buy your first property, whether investment or personal residence, you need to stash the rest of your cash in just an online savings account where you'll earn about 1.6%. Okay. And the reason is, as you move towards the goal of owning real estate, you're going to need available cash mm-hmm. for down payment. If you buy a property that needs some work, you're going to need money to do some fix-up to it. And as much as you save that money, the more power that gives you in the marketplace and the less you're going to have to borrow for that property. Okay. So that's where I'd go next. All right. Thank you very much. And continued success to you. And I will say one other thing to you. If having true financial independence is really important to you, when you finish school and get a job, I want you to be a max saver in whatever retirement plan hopefully you'll be offered where you're going to be working. Oh, okay. Because if you want to really, really control your future from your early 20s because you're a a mind like this so that's why i'm going to say this and i wouldn't say it to most people i want you to save 25 cents of every dollar you make okay and that is the formula to create enormous financial independence relatively young in your life that you have ahead of you best to you this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Luke is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Luke. 
Yes, sir. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Luke. You got a question for me about one of the largest companies in the world. Yes, sir. That's Goldman Sachs, actually. Were yeah, you uh, thinking of going go to work that, for them, or what's going on? I was actually looking, uh, before I get into that, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you and your team. I mean, um, I just started listening to you um, about two weeks ago, and I already went through all the uh, all the podcasts that are available, and I'm exponentially more well-off than I was before, so I wanted to thank you guys for everything that you do for us. Well, you're so nice to say that, and I'm glad that we've been able to be of service to you. Yeah, so what I'm looking at right now is I'm, I'm looking um, to switch to an online bank per your previous podcast, you say that um, the uh, interest rates are substantially higher on those particular uh, savings account. And the one that I'm looking at in particular is the highest interest rate that I can find, which is 1.5 with Marcus through Goldman Sachs. And it just seemed like that was substantially higher than uh, the current bank that I'm with. All right. So listen to this. You know, they survey every week what the four giant monster mega banks are paying on savings and uh-huh. the most recent survey was just a couple of days ago chase and citibank are paying four one hundredths of one percent on savings bank of america is paying six one hundredths of one percent and wells fargo is paying one one hundredths of one percent so even though bank of america is paying six times what wells is paying it's still basically paying zero So you take that and compare it to Goldman Sachs through Marcus, you have to have $1 to open an account paying 1.5%. It's fantastic. And by the way, today, Marcus is not alone. There are a bunch of online savings accounts that are paying around that or even more. Really? Yeah. So it's. Well, I will certainly have to look into that. So I'll hit you with uh, some of the names, some of the ones. CIT Bank, uh, which is a, a big lender to people without necessarily the best credit scores. They're paying 1.55% right now. And okay. uh, there are others paying a bunch, paying 1.6% now. number of wow. them savings banks from New York State that you can put your money in from anywhere in the country. Wow. And most of them just require $1 or more, some $100 to open an account. There are a few that require the big money crowd to come open money. What I like for you to look at doing, Luke, is you can open an online account like with Marcus. You can link it to your bank account at the uh, expensive bank you're at. And on two days' notice, you can move money back and forth as you wish. So that way, your idle cash, which hopefully you have some idle cash, is always earning the most possible versus letting it sit and rot at one of the stingy giant monster mega banks. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off air for free nine hours a day if you go to clark.com and go down the home screen you'll see a section consumer help and tools click on consumer action center and you can get that free off the air advice